Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. That's who I'm here to talk about this morning, and I hope if you don't know Him, that you come to know Him this morning in a personal way. That's what I want you to hear first from me standing up here. That's the most important thing. Okay? That's the most important thing of whoever stands up here. Okay? Now, good morning to all of you. Okay? Thank you for inviting us here. I mean, we've had a great time so far getting to meet some of you. Uh, we know a lot of you, you feel like family because we've been here before. Uh, so it's just great to be back here. It feels like we're coming home. So that's been great. Um, it's an honor to stand here and bring God's Word to you this morning. So let's get right into that, okay? Um, so how many of you have a lot of memories about childhood? I know I do, because this place reminds me a lot of my childhood. I'm going to set this somewhere before I want to knock it off, okay? If I need it, I'll walk over here and get it. Do I need a coaster? I don't want to get chastised sitting right on the okay. All right. Okay, so fond memories, you know, about childhood. So I grew up down in western North Carolina, a lot like this, and I remember things like my mom and grandmother canning a lot of the stuff that we ate, which always strikes me funny. We, we call it canning, but we were actually putting stuff in mason jars. I never really understood why we called it canning. But anyhow, uh, you know, we only had four channels, ABC, CBS, NBC, and one public TV that we got from an antenna on the side of the house, you know, turn a little knob and you hear it turn, okay? So you guys can relate to that. We didn't have 158 channels and Netflix and all this stuff, okay? Pretty simple. Um, and I remember we listened to the radio a lot. I remember listening to Chuck Swindoll on the radio. And it's funny now, you know, I, I know what he looks like. And I always imagine what Chuck Swindoll looked like. He looks nothing like what I thought he looked like as an adult. Or as a kid, now as an adult. And uh, then there's Paul Harvey. I mean, how many people know who Paul Harvey is? The younger generation may not. My kids didn't. We kind of went over what I was going to be talking about in the sermon. And they're like, Paul Harvey, who's that? So, uh, you know, some of those things are kind of neat to go over with your kids to give them a perspective of things. So, you know, Paul Harvey always had this tagline, the rest of the story. So he would have some weird, you know, tag that was his tagline, what he would talk about. He would give some just kind of interesting facts about something. Uh, you know, something like, you know, this man in Sandusky is launched into outer space and people say it was... Uh, some malfunction with equipment at the water treatment plant. And then he would launch into, and now the rest is a story. He'd give vague, interesting details, and then he would tell the story. So that always intrigued me. But you know there's verses in the Bible, if you just read this kind of one verse, that would kind of make you wonder, well, what, what, what is the rest of this story? You know, you see people carrying coffee cups with a Bible verse on it. And sometimes we take this out of context. You know, if we read above and below that, we get the true story. We get the whole thing. And I'm real big about reading the Bible in context, understanding what the story is. So that's what I would like to do with you guys today, is take one of these verses 
and go through that, okay? So if you're able this morning, would you please stand with me in honor of God's Word? We're going to be in the book of Genesis. We're specifically going to go into Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. That's going to be our one verse that we're going to camp out on, but we're going to be kind of all over the place in Genesis. If you would, let's pray before we get started. So Lord Jesus, as we come to you at this time and open your word, we want to acknowledge, Lord, that you're God alone, that you're good enough. You alone are the strength of our hearts. You're the good shepherd and we're thankful that you preserved your word. And when we study the lives of the characters within its pages, we come to understand who you are and how you treat your special creation. Lord Jesus, we see in your scriptures how you use situations of life for your glory and your purpose. And Lord, we acknowledge that by your providence that you are sovereign over all things. We can also know the rest of the story in your word. As we now come to you today, we ask you to speak to us in only ways that you can. So Lord Jesus, we ask you to speak to us right now and we'll listen to you. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. If you'll remain standing, we'll read this text here. It's Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. The Bible says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but... God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. If you would, you can have a seat now. So, we take that one verse. Do I need to adjust something up here? Is there anything I need to do? No? Okay. Um, when we read this, we see that as for you. Well, who is the you? What, what, what is this in the passage? When we see the evil, what, what is this evil? What is there? Some kind of event? What happened? What occurred? This present result. What, what's the result? You know, something happened, some, some, there was some cause and effect. And preserve what people alive. What is this story talking about? There seems to be a lot of wisdom here. There seems to be some kind of tone of forgiveness. Um, you know, there seems to be a considerable passing of time. You know, what, what's the story here? Uh, the, the, this this passage. We'll go to this. Is that better? All right. Can't stand much of that. All right. So, get back on track here. So, this, this passage has a lot going on in it. You know, the you, as for you, you meant evil. This present result, people alive. What is this passage talking about? So, but it's encouraging to me because God's obviously in this. Okay, so that's what I want to get into with this. 
uh, that God has a purpose not only for someone's life, but for suffering and evil. You know, we, we always, you know, wonder, well, why, why does bad things happen? You know, I've written books about it, and, and we all have those things. You know, if you're alive, you're going to have trouble, right? There's nobody in here that's going to get out of this world without having problems and issues. That's just the way it is. But ultimately, this passage tells me that God's in control, okay? So that's a good thing, right? So as we go through this uh, story this morning, that's what I want to bring you uh, some encouragement about. But before we get into that, I want to bring a couple things to your attention. Have you ever noticed that in an obituary, it always lists all the good things? Have you ever noticed that? I think I'm going to have my family write one that kind of throws everybody a curve. You know, like, well, you know, he didn't pass his driver's ed test the first time. And, you know, he failed this test, you know, because that's the reality of the world that we're in. You know, we break things. I forget things. Thank goodness for the iPhone calendar that you can set reminders. You know, oh, I'm late. Well, you know, flat tire. No, I just forgot. <laughs> you know, I ain't gonna lie, I just forgot. But have you ever noticed that when we read Scripture and it tells the story of characters in here, it doesn't always tell that. It tells all those details. It puts them all in there. So I think there's something to learn about that. Okay? So the story that we're going to talk about today is Joseph's life. So if I had to go back to that like Paul Harvey thing, and there was this, you know, this headline, the way he would start his stories, it would read something kind of like this, you know, uh, favorite son who is a dreamer who dresses in flashy clothes is thrown into a pit or a well sold to a group of nomadic traders uh, uh, so gone to Egypt promoted to upper management you know, spends time in jail oversees a correctional facility interprets dreams for the king saves the lives of millions dies with a forgiving spirit and understands God's purpose for his life and that's the rest of the story. You know, because his life is something else when you start reading his story. And I think we have a lot to gain from that. Now, a little bit of background on the book of Genesis. Okay, so it's generally accepted that Moses was the author of the book of Genesis. Okay, it's part of the Pentateuch. Okay, the Pentateuch's the first five Bibles in the Old Testament. Uh, Pentateuch is Penta is five, and then Tuch is the case or the box that they would hold those five books in. Uh, you know, I'm real big in understanding why we believe what we believe and why we read it. A couple of New Testament verses that confirm or we can kind of rely on that the Old Testament is real. One is Peter, Second Peter, one. Uh, chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, says, But know this first, all that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 
And here's another one. This is actually Jesus speaking on the matter in John 5, 45 through 47. He says, Do not think that I will accurse you before the Father. The one who accurses you is Moses. Okay, so this is Jesus giving credit to the writings of Moses, you know, because Jesus actually preached and taught out of the Pentateuch. And he says, in whom you set your hope, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So, you know, I think the story we're reading today, we can put our faith and hope that it's a true story, okay? So, um, what we're reading today, I'm sure Jesus spoke about it, read it to people, and all that. So, here's another interesting thing about this story of Joseph's life. It's given more chapters in the book of Genesis than anything. So we're going to be from verses, or chapters 37 to 50. Now think about that. How does Genesis start? We're talking about the creation of the world, and all the animals and everything we've got running around out here now. And one, one character gets, you know, 14 verses or 14 chapters. So there must be a lot of stuff that we need to know. Okay? And actually, I'll share a couple as we go, a couple things. Actually, one I, I, I picked up on this morning that I, I've read it, I don't know how many times, and picked up on it this morning that kind of struck me. So if you would like to follow along, I'm going to be starting in 37, kind of bringing us up where I want to. I'm going to be skimming through it because I've only got about 30 minutes or so. Or I can turn this into an African sermon. <laughs> you want five hours? We can stop, eat lunch, and then come back. But uh, anyhow, I'm trying to make this as quick as I can. So starting in verse 37 with the life of Joseph. He's 17 years old at this point. So now he's uh, out with his brothers tending sheep. Now, he's the baby of the family. I'm the baby of the family. Okay? Now, it starts out here that he brings a bad report back about his brothers. So now, you know, he's a tattletale right off the bat. You know, a little spoiled brat kid. I know there's none in this crowd. You know, I know there's none in this crowd. So he comes back, gives this bad report about his brothers. Okay? So he's already got that going for him. His dad, he's already the golden boy in the family. You know, it says here in, uh, in verse 3 of 37 that his dad made this special multicolored coat. I mean, you know, he's got him marked up. Here's my golden boy. You know, there's already this resentment going on. I mean, we can go ahead and get a sermon ready for that one about favoritism with your children probably. You know, there's all kinds of sermons here we can spin off this, this boy's life. Okay. His brothers could not stand him. They weren't even on friendly terms with him. You look in verse 4, it talks about that. They couldn't even speak to him on friendly terms. And then, here he starts telling dreams. He's interpreting dreams. And I wonder, when I read this, because it doesn't really, you don't know the tone and the inflection in his voice when he's telling them there, uh, you know, in verse 5 about these dreams. You don't know if he's like, you know, I had this dream that, uh, y'all are going to bow down to me? Or was it like, you know, I had this dream that you're going to be bowing down to me. You know, you don't know how, you don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know how it was, but obviously, whichever way, the brothers did not like it at all. So then we get on down into verse 18. The brothers have obviously had enough of their spoiled brat brother. They're going to do away with him. They look and they say, here comes this dreamer. We've had enough of him. They're going to hatch a plan to get rid of him. But Reuben, one of the brothers, says, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to throw him down in a well. So they throw him down in a well. And then it's interesting to read in verse 25. Think about how callous they are, how much they can't stand him. They sit down and have a meal. Think about that. They were going to kill him. Reuben said no. They throw him in a well. That's how much they don't like him. They don't even give it a second thought. And then, other than that, they pull him out of a well, sell him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. They don't care for this boy at all. Joseph don't care for him at all. Sell him into slavery. He winds up in Egypt. Okay. Winds up as a servant in Potiphar's house. Okay, we're skipping a little bit. On a side note, you should read 38 sticks out, chapter 38 sticks out like a sore thumb in this story. Okay, you should read that and investigate that on your own because that ties in Jesus into this line. Okay, the story is in there for a reason. If you're really like, wait a minute, the story took a little pause for a second. Very important because it establishes historically Jesus' line into this. So, anyhow. Then we get to, Jesus, or to Joseph being in Potiphar's house and... He is falsely accused of trying to take advantage of Potiphar's wife. There's a story in there. But the whole time when we look in chapter 39 and verse 2 and in verse 3 that the Lord was with Joseph. But anyhow, he winds up getting thrown in jail. Okay? Then we get down to verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. The whole time the Lord's with him. Now he's in jail. Now we're in chapter 40. One thing to remember is that even in all this, the Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph at this time is obviously maturing. Okay? Okay? hey, I've been there too. You know? I know my boys are, I want, when I grow up, I'm going to be this. I'm going to do that. I, we're not ready for that. You know? We all mature. The Lord has to get our attention. The Lord had to get my attention. Four years ago, five years ago, I wasn't ready to stand up here and do what I'm doing. Lord had to take me through some fires, take our family through some fires. We all have to do that. Okay? It's a growing process. You know, think of it this way. Do you want the brain surgeon who's fresh out of medical school cutting on your head? I don't. 
You know, I want the person that's been there and done that several times. Okay, I don't. I actually don't want them cutting on me at all. But, <laughs> but you know, my point is the Lord matures us. He takes us through these things, and He's with us. And he has a plan for us in his sovereignty and in his providence. He knows what he's doing, folks, just like with Joseph's life. And things that we think are evil or bad are for our good. And they're working their way in our life to bring us where they need to be. So in 40, it's interesting during all this, obviously, there's some compassion building in Joseph when we look in 40 in uh, verse number 7. The cupbearer and the baker have been thrown in jail because they've made Pharaoh mad. Okay? And he says, why are your faces so sad? Even at that point, Joseph is noticing with compassion that these guys are sad. Okay? So there's a little tidbit. Even though Joseph is in jail, he is actually noticing somebody else's needs. Okay? So even in your circumstances, somebody's probably got it worse than you do. Well, he interprets their dreams in there. Um, and he interprets the cupbearer's dream. This is the one thing I noticed this morning. He interprets the cupbearer's dream and he says, Don't forget me. Tell the Pharaoh. But you notice in this, he never tells the baker that. So he obviously believed that the interpretation was right. Be sure and tell the Pharaoh he didn't tell the baker that because he tells the baker, dude, it ain't looking good for you. So he believed what he told him. So I just realized that this morning. Um, but then at the bottom it says, yet the cupbearer did not believe him or, or did, not, uh, did not remember him. So two years goes by. Joseph's still sitting in the jail. Then Joseph gets called to interpret the Pharaoh's dreams. Okay? The Pharaoh believes him. And all through this, now I'm, I'm still in, I'm in 41 now, chapter 41. Joseph gets called out of the jail and interprets dreams for the Pharaoh. Now, the thing to remember about this, we're not talking about some little king. This point in the history of the world, this is the most powerful leader in the world. Okay? Joseph's pulled out of jail, cleaned up, taken before Pharaoh, and he starts interpreting these dreams. But the whole time, Joseph is telling Pharaoh if you look in 41 in, in, in verse 16, he says, It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then in verse 25, God has told me, Pharaoh, what he is about to do. In 28, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Then in 32, now as for, for the for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God. And God will quickly bring it about. Then down in 38, Then Pharaoh said to his servants, 
Can we find a man like this in whom is the divine spirit in it? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all of this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all of my people shall do homage. Only the throne, I will be greater than you. Now Joseph was, and over in 46 says, Now Joseph was 30 years old, and he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I mean, we're going from 17 years old to here. He was in a well. Now he is second in charge. I mean, you've got, he's second in charge of the world at this point in history. Okay? But during all of this, he's giving credit to the Lord. So what's some of the lessons we can learn from this? It does not matter where you work or what you do. I mean, he's in the heart of pagan land. Okay? If you are a Christian, you can make a stand for Christ. He's with you. Okay? You never know who you might influence. Okay? It's not luck. It's not good fortune. It's the Lord. Okay? So, keep that in mind. So now Joseph is, in, is put in charge. He interprets these dreams, if you know the story. That there's going to be this time of famine, which it happens. Joseph devises this plan, how they're going to store food up for these hard times that are going to come in Egypt. Now we get to 42. This is where it starts getting a little interesting. So now, meanwhile, back in Canaan, here's Joseph's brothers. Gonna get interesting here. This is where I start asking some questions. Um, what would I do? What would you do? You know. Um, it's an interesting story. So Jacob, which is all these, is their dad. He's sitting here, we're in 42 now, uh, in the first chapter, first verse. He says, why are y'all sitting here staring at one another, basically? We're starving to death. There's famines over the land. And, you know, I can just imagine this scene. You know, they're all sitting there. Joseph's in Egypt, you know, kind of starting to live the high life. I mean, he's got staff now, right? He's got power and prestige. He says, go to Egypt. They're selling grain. Help the family. So they head to Egypt. Now look at verse 6. Now Joseph was the ruler over the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Now when I read that, I think, I wonder if Joseph remembered that dream and said, I got him. I got him, you know. I wonder if he did that a little bit. Because when you read the rest of, these, rest of this chapter through here, I mean, he, he plays this real big game of cat and mouse with them, sending them back and forth and back and forth, you know. I'd probably done the same thing a little bit, you know. 
wasn't revenge. He was blessing them at the time. He did send them with food. He did send them with money. But he was kind of mousing around with them just a little bit. Okay? But the one key thing to remember, um, he did take care of them. Finally, this is where I want to get to. 45. Let's go to chapter 45. This is where he reveals the truth of who he is to his brothers. So Joseph just couldn't hide the secret anymore who he was. Then Joseph, this is chapter one, verse 1 and 45, then Joseph could not control himself anymore. So he's talking to his brothers. He had them come closer. Verse 4. And he says to them, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. Just think about how that went down. Just think about that. Think about just the, the, your guts, how the bottom would just drop out of them. Now you know these guys have probably thought about this every day or at least once a week since they did it. You know? I know probably everybody's done something in here that every now and then you think about it that you didn't get caught. I have. I ain't going to talk about it because you, be, you might like to gossip. <laughs> that might be your sin. But anyhow, um, but just think about that. Think about that picture right there. But Joseph has grown up. And through this whole story, he has seen the Lord protect him through all of this and been with him. Because he's given credit. I mean, he's standing before the pagan of pagans here, the Pharaoh, and giving the credit to the Lord. Okay? Listen to verse 5. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. Because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. That kind of that harkens that, yeah, it's still up there. The scripture up there, doesn't it? Okay? He's continually giving God the credit for what happened. All right? That's hard to do sometimes. You know, when, uh, when everything's going well, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but seeing God's providence and sovereignty sometimes is, is hard. When things are going well, I can, yep, I've arrived, look at this, everything's great. But when it's, you know, falling off in the ditch, it's hard to see. It's so hard to see when you have to endure the mess and you endure the trials and you endure those things. But God's in those details. You know? He's in those details. And it makes those times when you do get there, it makes you understand and appreciate it so much better. You know, now, now listen to me. I'm not standing up here preaching some prosperity thing. Okay? I'm not saying you're going to be in a well and then you're going to wind up running some Fortune 500 company 
or you know, you're going to get everything you want just the way you want it. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible says. You could be like John the Baptist. Does everybody know how his life ended? Go read uh, Mark 6. He lost his head. Okay? But it may not. Nobody may ever know your name outside this church. Okay? My point is, God is with you if you're a born-again believer. And even if you're not in some cases. But if you're a born-again believer, He's got a plan for your life. It just may not be the way that you think it's going to be. I'm going to tell you right now, our family, I had, this here just makes no sense to me at all. Okay? But he works out things for his good. And he is in control. And he will open and close doors. And he will open and close opportunities. And it may not look how you think it is. It may be in the bottom of a well. Or it may be in a jail. Or it may be in a supermarket. Or it may be on the other side of the world. But you have to be looking for those opportunities. Something to think about. And whatever your career might be, if it's working for Pharaoh, figuring out some kind of food plan or well drilling plan, you're working for the Lord. Okay? Remember that. Um, being in his will, I'm going to tell a couple of stories here. Let's have a dear friend up in Charlottesville, Dr. Jim Masloff. He's a retired physician up there. The first mission trip, international mission trip that Wendy and I went on, um, he was in his late 70s then. And he always used to say, you know, there's no safer place to be than in the will of the Lord. And that's always stuck with me. And well, being in the will of the Lord is, can be a scary place. You know, because sometimes you feel like you're, this is where I need the, this thing working. You know, it's like you're hanging here like this. You can't see this. It's like you're hanging here. But when you fall, that's all you fall. And you just have to trust that. And it doesn't make sense. Your friends and family may look at you and think, what are you doing? Now, the Lord gives you a brain and He gives you Wisdom to think about stuff. Now, just being plain, not, this may not be a word you're supposed to use, kids at home. Stupid, okay? You don't do stupid stuff, okay? But when you're in the will of the Lord and you're doing what He's supposed to, what He's wanting you to do, what He's calling on your life, He's going to guide your steps. Don't go it alone. That's why it's important to be. Here, that's why it's important to be plugged in with a group of believers and having other people affirm and confirm things and talking about that with others. It's very important. Um, so we get to this story of Joseph. Let's go on down back over to our key verse over in chapter 50.
so we're, we're I know we've we've gone over a lot of verses here. This overview, you can keep reading this story and just see how his life progressed. Okay, well, eventually, Jacob, Joseph's father, and all of his family, they moved to Egypt. I mean, they're blessed. The generations are blessed. And his family survives, and many people are saved, just like this verse says. But it's interesting when you read 50, we're down at the end of his life, okay? When that verse we first read. So Jacob dies. Now his brothers kind of have this panic moment again, like, okay, dad's dead. You know, dad's in charge. He was in charge. He's dead. Now Joseph's going to come at us again because dad's out of the picture. He's going to get revenge on us again. Okay, but let's read here for a minute. I'm going back up to 17. 50, 17. Thus you say to Joseph, please give, I beg you, or forgive, I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servant of the God of your father. And Joseph wept. And Joseph has forgiven them. The Lord's worked in his life. Okay? He's, he's let this thing go. But his brothers obviously have still kind of been walking around like, I don't know, he's going to change his mind. What we did was horrible, horrible, horrible. He's going to get us back one of these days. Wouldn't it be a terrible way to live? Wouldn't that be a terrible way to live all these years? Having to constantly. When's it going to hit us? When's it going to get us? When's it going to get us? Okay? That's an ulcer producing life right there. Okay? But then it says, And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Now here's the rest of this story. But, where where are you, Eric? You brought that whole but thing up a minute ago. Uh, But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. And he's asking a question here. For am I in God's place? Continually giving God the credit here. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Then he goes on to say, So therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I mean, Joseph had been changed through this whole experience. If we go back to that 17-year-old brat, do you think if he had been dumped from 17 years old to this point, he would have had that same spirit? Absolutely not. Life had taught him some lessons. Now you know when he was in prison, he's in prison in Potiphar's house and all these things. He was learning as he was going. I'm sure he messed up. Okay? But he was being taught and trained. Okay? And, you know, that's what life does for us. And that's what the Holy Spirit will do for us. That's what God's Word does for us. 
the Bible and His Word is a schoolmaster to us. It teaches us how we ought live, how we ought do. Okay, but there's another interesting thing about this. You say, well, what does this mean to me? What does this mean to me? Well, Joseph, his story is talking about his family. That this evil was to help preserve his family. But there was another story a few thousand years later of someone that came to preserve people. It also, people meant evil against him. And he came to preserve many. And that person was Jesus. Okay? So let's talk about that for a minute. So Jesus came here. He lived a sinless life. Okay? Lived a sinless life. He wasn't that little, well, I don't know, you know. I'm sure he threw some rocks when he was a little kid. You know, but he did live a sinless life. And you say, well, wait a minute. There's no story about him getting thrown in a well. There, there wasn't anybody throwing. He got put on a cross. You know who put him on that cross? Everybody in this room did. <laughs> you know that? You said, well, I wasn't alive then. The Bible says that he died for the sins of the world. For, for all the sins of the world. Even for us that wasn't even born then. And you know what? There's going to be a day that we're going to get that surprise where we're going to walk up to that throne. And he's going to say, guess what? It's me. And you'll either have that sinking feeling of, uh-oh. Or either you're going to be able to say, you know what, I'm born again. I know that I helped put Christ on that cross. And I've asked Him for forgiveness. And He is my Lord and my Savior. And He does forgive me. Just like Joseph forgave. Except we're not talking about for this temporary thing. We're talking about for eternity. You know, that, that's the difference. So when we ask Christ to forgive us of our sins, that debt's paid. Makes sense? Y'all understand what I'm saying? So from Joseph's life, we see how this played out. God was with him. God can be with you. Okay? He's going to guide your life. But if you're not born again, it's not going to end well for you. I promise you the Bible's very clear on that. So I, I challenge you today to go back through this life of Joseph. There's a lot to learn from this. I also challenge you to uh, come to know Christ as your Savior. There's another Bible verse I want to read that also added a little more to it than I usually read. It also confirms that Jesus believes this story and how important it is. Starting in John 3.14 this time. It says, As Moses lifted up the servant 
serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is Jesus talking, so he's referring back to Moses' writings. So that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Y'all know the rest of this. Y'all know the rest of this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right? For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but through him they might be saved. You think Joseph was forgiving? You don't have to walk around constantly like Joseph's brothers. All you have to do is admit you're a sinner. Okay? That's all you got to do. Admit you're a sinner. Ask Him to forgive you. The Bible says He will. Freely. Freely. There is no debt. And He'll be your Lord and your Savior. And I hope you do that today because you know what? You don't know what tomorrow brings. You have no idea what tomorrow brings. Might be something like a pandemic. Oh, wait a minute. We just went through that. Right? Never know. Um, So that's my challenge to you. If you want to know what the rest of the story is, read this. We know what it is. We know it. I appreciate your time. Hope you've gotten something out of this. But don't leave this place if you don't have him as personal Savior. Talk to me. Talk to Aaron. Last time I was here, any of you that are born-again Christians, you can talk to anybody in here that's born-again Christian should be able to tell you about what Jesus has done for them and walk you through how to become a born-again Christian. I'll be hanging around here. You need me. Aaron, I'm going to turn it back over to you.